aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not there, therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me, be, sent me before you to preserve life. For, for these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a, a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So Joseph does not want any outsiders sharing this special moment. He orders everyone to leave. And then what does Joseph start doing? Weeping very loudly. How loudly did he weep? Very. Very. They even heard him over in Pharaoh's house. Must have been quite some weeping. You know, you can imagine such an emotional moment. And you wonder what the brothers thought when they saw him start crying like that. This is so... They've been spooked out by everything that's happened so far. You know, about every time some unexpected twist, they're like, oh no, oh no. You know, God's catching up to us, you know. And then, Joseph says, just imagine the, the impact on the brothers. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And what's he going to do? You know, he's got all power. You know, can you imagine what he could have done to them? And so, they're just, they're just dumbfounded. Joseph says, come closer. He said, look, I'm, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Who else would have known that? You know, it is Joseph. It has to be Joseph. This is a telltale bit of family history that nobody else would have shared. He's... Well, I mean, all the emotions they must have felt. Probably mostly fear. You know, wow. Would you have ever thought when you sold him as a slave he'd have become vice pharaoh? <laughs> that probably was not exactly what they were expecting to see. So what is Joseph's concern? Well, that's certainly one thing. You know, he's uh, he's going to send him back. What else? What is he concerned about right here? That they're not upset with themselves. Wow! He is worried that they're going to get too down on themselves for what they did to him. Can you imagine that? They deserve that. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, I'm, I sure am glad you felt grieved about this. I hope, I hope you've learned your lesson. You know, I hope this really bothers you. 
You realize what, what this has done to me? Do you realize how long I was separated from my father? Do you realize, you know, what all I've gone through? It's like, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. It was really the Lord. Don't worry about it. You know, don't, don't be upset with yourselves. Isn't that amazing? What does that show you on Joseph's part? Humility, absolutely. And he'd made peace with what happened. Very much so. And selfless. Selfless. Bigger perspective. Yeah. Much he sees that the Lord is working through this. So he's like forgiving. He's he's compassionate. He's concerned for them. You know, it's amazing. And it's so much easier to do that when he sees that the Lord is the one who's been doing this. You know, he says, God's the one who sent me. In fact, he says, look, we're just two years into the famine. There's going to be five more years. Because they had no idea of that. They weren't privy to Pharaoh's dreams. But Joseph is informing them, this is really bad. And the reason God put me here is so I could deliver you from this famine. So he sees that it wasn't the brothers who sold him. It was God who sent him. That changes everything. It's so much easier to be forgiving when you can see the Lord's hand behind what happens. That's just so, wow. You know, and, and so he's like, you know, it's okay. Now, now we can see what God was up to. You know, all those years Joseph was sold, he was falsely accused and imprisoned, he was forgotten by the cupbearer. It looked like, where's God? But now, well, God was behind this whole thing, and look where it led. You can't see that in the moment. You can only see that later. So we're going to be in situations where we're going to say, I don't understand why God lets this happen. I just don't understand what God thinks he's doing. You know, I thought God wasn't supposed to do this kind of stuff. We won't know. We won't be able to see it. Maybe years later, we'll look back and say, oh, great. That was so much better. You know, I, I may have used this illustration before. I probably have somewhere along the line. But many years ago, like 25 or 30, uh, I, I decided to, uh, 25, I guess, I decided to move. And I was going to, you know, looking around for a place that I could start preaching and or, or moved to preach, uh, and and there was this church that asked me to come, asked me to come and talk to them. It was really cool. Uh, I really liked the group. I liked the opportunity. It was really encouraging opportunity. Really good situation. A lot of ways, kind of everything I wanted. And and there were several things that made me think that was going to work out. Uh, there were some other people they'd talked to, but I knew from people there they weren't interested in those guys. And I was kind of the only other one they'd talked to. And so I thought, great, you know. And then, like three weeks later, they called me up and they said, well, we're really not going to have, ask anybody we've talked to to come. We're going to go back and, you know, talk to some other people. And I was like, I just don't understand why God would do this. Because I really wanted to serve. I really wanted to help. I really saw so many opportunities and so many possibilities and all that. So it was really, really discouraging, really disheartening. And later, I ended up moving to a congregation where I grew tremendously, really helped me a lot in, in LaGrange, Kentucky for five years. The church that I'd really wanted to go to completely split a year later. Really bad, horrible situation. And 
I look back and I'm like, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> what a blessing that he didn't do what I thought he should have done. He did what he saw he should do. That's always so much better. Thoughts and comments? Yes. Well, I got two things. I got a question and a comment. Uh, first, I want to ask, why does he say in verse 3, does my father still live if they just got through telling him? <laughs> that is a very good question because he had. He'd, he'd interrogated them both times on the health of his father. And now he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? Why would he do that? I think that's pointing out he is my father. He's, he kept asking, is your father? And then he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father alive? The same one that I've asked you about. That's an interesting thought. Maybe so. What else? Or maybe to make the, uh, the brothers realize um, that what they have done is wrong. Because look at him now. Okay. Maybe so. Or asking if my father is alive emotionally still. Not completely just broken down grieving anymore. Okay. I wonder about this. I, I don't know. I, it's obviously kind of a difficult statement. I've thought about that several times. And I don't know that any of us can come up with a definitive it has to be this. But I wonder if it's almost like now that he's revealed himself, he wants to ask it again. You know, I mean like... He's still really concerned about his father. And so now he's in a different position. And he's just immediately, is my father still alive? I think it's almost a more emotional thing. But I don't know. Any of those answers may be right. Cass, my, uh, The thing I also want to say was I really like how he says, he talks about how, you know, God, do you, you know, God did this. And, um, and, what, what verse is it where he's saying? Well, like verse uh, 5, God sent me before you. And verse 7, God sent me before you. And it wasn't you, but God in verse 8. Okay, yeah. Just like all those, I mean, he automatically turns it towards God. And it's just like whenever he was in jail, he's, you know, they told hit the butler and the baker, you know, talked about their dreams. And he said, you know, God can interpret them. And God cannot, God handle the dreams or whatever. And then... When he goes up in front of Pharaoh, he talks about how God would do this, and then he's here. He just always turns it to God. It's like he's always giving God the glory, no matter like what he's been through or who he's talking to. Yeah, I mean, he sees that the Lord is the one who's doing all this stuff. So often we don't see that. You know, we only see the stuff that happens. <laughs> we don't see the Lord as the one who's acting. Other thoughts. All right, well, 9 to 20. <clears throat> Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is, the that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all, the, of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen me, all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. 
After that, his brothers talked with him. Then the report was heard in Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts, and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land in Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So, what often happens when somebody from relatively humble background makes it big? How do they usually look on their old friends and family? Yeah, maybe even with a sense of disgust. disgust or, I mean, not so much disgust, but superiority. Superiority. Maybe, what do you want? Pity. Pity. Or maybe embarrassment. Mm. You know, like, you just assume people didn't realize that, you know, you were related to these humble people because now you're a big shot. That's not the way Joseph feels at all. Joseph says, oh, you all are going to have to come on down here. You're going to have to move down here. And he's got a really good reason why they need to move down there. Why do they need to come down? There's famine still on. Yeah, five more years of famine. I'm going to take care of you down here. You, you move your father and everything and come down here. And, 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 you know, he wants them to just to migrate and he'll take care of them. And in fact, Pharaoh hears that Joseph's family has come and he offers the best of the land. He offers wagons to move them. He said, don't worry about bringing your stuff. You can have anything you want to here. And just rolls out the red carpet for Joseph's family. You see several times how indebted Pharaoh feels to Joseph. Had been for Joseph, they'd all been starving to death right now. So Pharaoh will do anything for Joseph's family. Comments and questions? Do you think that Joseph would still have that just small feeling of superiority because he tricked his brothers for all that time? I don't think so. I mean, into re- or into repenting for themselves? I think he was just trying to find out. I, I don't think he was trying to rub it in. I think he just didn't want to entrust himself <coughs> to them until he knew they weren't the same kind of people they were. I think the fact that he says, don't be upset with this was God. He's worried about them being too down about this. He's worried about their, you know, feeling too guilty. That that would not be true if he didn't really care about them. I, I don't know. All of this is interpretive. Depends on how you read it. But that's where I'm at at the moment. Other thoughts? So I'm assuming um, Benjamin would have been about as dumbfounded as the re- as anybody when he hears. This is Joseph? Yeah. He, his only, the only thing he would have heard would have been the same thing that, that Jacob had heard. Good point, yes. He did not know, very good point, he didn't know what the other brothers knew. The other brothers knew what they'd done. But I don't, you wouldn't think the brothers would have ever told Joseph. Benjamin. Benjamin, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, why would they have told him? He might have... You know, gone and told that, told Daddy. 
Now look, Benjamin, you better stay in line, and we'll do to you what we did. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they threatened you with it. But that wouldn't go very well, really. I don't think so. I don't think they could afford to uh, to go to do that. No, I, so that I hadn't thought about that. That's a very good point. That that for Benjamin, the fact that they had sold him there is new information. <laughs> and don't you wonder what happened when they went back home? We got good news and <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just how do you explain how Joseph was alive in Egypt? He got away from the beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, he must have overpowered that beast. And had amnesia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they ever told him. I don't know if he didn't ask. I don't know. But that's, that's a curiosity I've got. I'd love to have been in that conversation. How old would Benjamin have been when Joseph left? Joseph was 17. Benjamin was a few years, several years younger. Because I'm just thinking, what kind of memories would Benjamin have of Joseph? Yeah. If he, I mean, like, if he's a six-year-old and his 17-year-old brother goes away, and this is 20, 20. years later and, and all, it, you know, is he going to... Know him. Yeah. Good point. I don't think we have a way of knowing exactly how old he was. But he was several years younger. How do you know that? Because he was born when they were in the land. Well, the others were born in the seven-year period. And I don't... Can we prove that they hadn't just gotten into the land when Benjamin was born... Um, you know, they had gone to Shechem, then went to Bethel, and then are journeying from Bethel. So it looks to me like they've even spent some time in the land. Okay. So I, 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 you know, maybe 10 or, may have been 10 or 12 or 14 years younger than, than Joseph. So he might have been too young to even remember Joseph. I, I think that would still be within the realm of possibility. So he's still really young. Like, he's not like well, a teenager. He's been 20 years, so he's, he's 20 plus whatever he was when he just met so Yeah, he's still young. Well, we know, we know that Benjamin was a grown man with up to 10 sons at about this time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's always amazes me. They talk to him about his, he's a lad. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, ladness is a relative <laughs> thing. <laughs> To me, uh, almost all of you are lads, so. <laughs> lads are lassies, I hope. Yeah, well, yeah, the, in the, the lad line. <laughs> there are comments or questions. So they do. They take the wagons and they go back to tell and get dad. 21 to 28. And the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, 
and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. <laughs> then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. <laughs> but he was stunned, for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And then Israel said, It is enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Wow. So they do. And Joseph is generous. He gives them all clothes and stuff on the donkeys, along with food. But what else does Joseph give? Advice. That true. That too. A lot more to Benjamin. A lot more to Benjamin. Three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. So this isn't still part of the test, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Why did he do this? Probably because he hasn't seen Benjamin. That he's seen them. Yeah. And Benjamin did brother. This is his real brother, his full brother, and. Benjamin wasn't guilty of selling him. I says I think more because he was full brother, but all those may have been factors. Well, he'd put him through a lot with the silver cup. Also. Good boy, <laughs> <laughs> poor boy. <laughs> yeah. Now, what happens when you open up that bag and it's there, and you know you didn't take it? You know, you've been set up. They searched every bag before they left this time. <laughs> All the donkeys. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Wow. But, so I don't know for sure. Uh, but he does. He gives Benjamin more. And he does give advice. What's his advice? Do not quarrel on the journey. Why does he say that? Because <laughs> their father might be mad at him for selling him slavery. So what might they be doing on the trip back home? Finding out who's most to blame. Yeah, yeah. 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 what my fault. It had been yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that, can't you? In, in between brothers? Oh my. And brothers who obviously did not have necessarily in every case a great deal of family love. <laughs> you know. So I, you can see a good reason for him to say that. And they get back to their father. And they say, Joseph's still alive and he's ruled over the land of Egypt. <laughs> and Jacob? <laughs> he believes his sons when they lie to him. He doesn't believe them when they tell him the truth. <laughs> you know, sometimes the truth is harder to believe than the lie. And that's certainly true in this case. And, 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 and this is kind of a Jacob thing anyway. He's much more likely to accept bad news than good news. We often are. We don't want to get our you know, hopes up. What proves to him, though, that they were telling him the truth? All this stuff. Yeah, the wagons loaded down with all this stuff from Egypt. You know, and so he says, you know, I'll go see my son Joseph uh, before I die. Um, so, so, Jacob and the family are moving. Pharaoh is picking up the tab. Think about 
how this is a foreshadowing of the gospel. To Jacob, what had Joseph's condition been? So what do you see here? Resurrection. He's been raised from the dead, at least in Jacob's mind. God brought him back to life. And you remember, I did this earlier. I'll do this one more time. Who am I? I am my father's beloved son. My father sent me far away on an errand of kindness. In carrying out that mission, my own people, because of jealousy, delivered me into the hands of strangers. I was sold for some shekels of silver. I was strongly tempted. Because of my righteousness, I was falsely accused and condemned. Two others were punished with me, though one of them was restored. But God was with me and later reversed the terrible injustices. I came to have all authority, second only to the highest king himself. Even those who sold me bowed down before me. I became the means whereby God saved the very ones who'd wronged me. After my death, I was alive and encountered first the ten, then the eleven. Who am I? And of course, God saw fit to show in the life of Joseph all these foreshadowings of Jesus. It just really shows you the hand of God in that whole account. <laughs> Comments and thoughts. Well, that's another thing that Joseph would have no idea about. Like, even after he learned that God's plan included him, like, becoming, you know, helping all these people through the famine and everything, he would have no idea that he was foreshadowing Christ. Good point. You know, so he never knew that, but right. God still used him there. Yeah. You, you see these stories on so many levels. It's like, even when you know the story, and then you study other things, you realize, ooh, there's a deeper connection there's even more God was saying in the story than what we had seen. Guess. I find it kind of interesting how Joseph was asking if Jacob was alive. And then it says in verse 27 that the spirit of Jacob, the father, was revived. I just find that kind of interesting. Well, what has happened with his spirit? Broken. Broken for how long? 20 years. This is a revival of spirit after 20 years of being uh, downtrodden and depressed. What an amazing thing. Like it would have been difficult to convince Jacob. I'm not sure, you know, the, the donkeys loaded with stuff would have been... Whereas the brothers, they were convinced by stuff that they only knew. <laughs> There wasn't anything to tell Jacob that could prove that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. did, I don't know. Did Pharaoh know about Joseph's brothers ahead of time? Or was Not that I know about. Okay. So Pharaoh didn't know anything they sold him into slavery? I'm assuming he did not. I don't know. How did the rest of you read that? Well, well he told the cupbearer that he didn't do anything to deserve to be here, that he right. was Good point. sold or something. Yeah, he did do that. So So maybe he told the story, but... Maybe. But. Uh, well, the Pharaoh said, well, I mean, he took it in like he already knew because the, he said his family's coming. Yes, 
but apparently word gets out is my idea about that anyway. Yeah, verse 16. Yeah, the news. he heard the news. So the news travels fast. Oh, it's Joseph's family they've come down. And I mean, it's like for Pharaoh, whoever's family to Joseph is good enough for him. You know, again, remember, I mean, from Pharaoh's standpoint, what would have happened if it hadn't been for Joseph? Yeah, so he owes his life to Joseph. And Joseph had done not only a wonderful job of interpreting the dream, but look at all the work he'd done, organization, being able to stockpile the food and sell. I mean, Joseph really, I mean, has benefited Pharaoh greatly. So what a small price for Pharaoh to pay for all the stuff that Joseph has done for him and his kingdom. Well, in fact, Pharaoh is, is or will be richer than he would have ever been without all of it. Well, yeah, because Joseph is wise. When he resells this stuff, he ends up, they, they give themselves to Pharaoh as slaves even. So Joseph turns, to be a, uh, turns out to be very uh, beneficial to Pharaoh. He's a blessing to him. Other comments and questions, thoughts? Talking, thinking the other day of other things to add to the list of the comparison. Oh, what did you come up with? Um, he was stripped of his robe or his clothes, like Jesus was. Oh, that's good. And if you uh, incorporate Revelation, his robe was dipped in blood. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that's uh, cool. And maybe the idea of he wept bitterly, pleaded with the ones that were... That's really good. Selling him. Very good. And there's almost no end to things like that. You start seeing those repeating patterns in the Bible. And the more you look, the more you see, and it's like this is uncanny. How could all this be in here? And yet it really is. There, there's a lot of that symbolism. We were talking uh, in Bowling Green. Uh, Tuesday night and Luke 24 we finished up Luke and how Jesus showed them uh, from the law the prophets and the Psalms all the things were written about him in all the scriptures so I was just saying okay what things in the Old Testament are foreshadowings of Jesus well I think one of the first ones they came up with was Joseph but None of you were here then. What would you say? What would be? What would be? What would you see as foreshadowings of Jesus in the Old Testament? I don't too many papers here. I brought everything I own tonight. Melchizedek. Melchizedek, excellent. The Passover. The Passover. He is the Passover Lamb, in fact. Yes. What else? Samuel is. Especially the prophet, priest, and king idea. He is the, the really the sin offering, both the scapegoat and the ghost that was offered for sins on the day of atonement. The suffering servant passage in Isaiah. All right, so he's the servant in Isaiah. What else for Shadows Jesus? I was just gonna say everything and kind of sum it all. <laughs> That's too easy. I know. Moses. Moses, the prophet like himself. David. David, all over the place. Caleb. John the Baptist. 
All right, John the Baptist prepared the way for him. So Elijah. Elisha. Elijah prepared the way for Elisha. Elisha is a tremendous parallel to Jesus. Really a lot of parallels between Elisha and Jesus. What else? Jonah. Jonah, the three days and three nights and the buried. What else? Would it be Isaac or Abraham? Isaac, you know, carrying the wood for his, for his, own, uh, his own self-sacrifice, yes. And Abraham in some senses too, certainly. He's the son of Abraham. What else? Well, Adam. He's the, the second Adam. <laughs> what else? I have a question about this story. Uh, at the beginning, was Joseph very, was he humbling with uh, before his brothers sold him into slavery? Or did he feel superior because he was the better brother? It depends on how you read it. There were three things the text says that made him mad. One is the father favored him and gave him that special gift. Mm -hmm. One is he tattled on his brothers. And one is he had these dreams that he told that implied that his parents and his brothers would end up bowing down to him, which of course came true. Yeah. Now, some people read that as, well, he was kind of gloating. You know, he was telling those dreams and tattling and even wearing the coat, you know, sort of, he was kind of rubbing it in. Personally, I don't read it that way. Personally, uh, to me, it's not his fault that his father favored him. God gave him the dreams. They were true. And I don't know that he shouldn't have told what his brothers were doing to his father. So I prefer reading it as Joseph was okay. But many of those things, it depends on the slant you want to take. I think you could argue it either way. Good question. What else is parallel to Jesus? Okay, I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Joshua? Joshua! You know, bring him into the promised land and the word Joshua is Jesus. How about the bronze serpent? Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And how about the manna? Jesus is the bread of life. And the rock. And the rock, you know, that followed them. And, you know, if you kept going, what about Solomon? Jesus was certainly the greater Solomon. And, and the more you go... Whoa, you will come to the point where we would nearly have to say everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And we've named one so far that almost every case are remarkable parallels. We're not having to stretch it. You know, it's like, whoa, this is amazing. But it's like it's everywhere. I mean, how, does, how, how would a human being design a story that had that much depth and intricacy that that this that Jesus who would come hundreds of years later is woven into everything about that story even interwoven in ways you know Jesus is the priest and he's the sacrifice and he's the altar and you know so forth and so on so he's the temple <laughs> I just think that's that's really cool once you see that so it's not a surprise that he's a parallel of Joseph, and it's really not a surprise that we could find a bunch more parallels than what I did. I'll add those for the next time. Well, what is it? Somebody, maybe it's Sid, who said, has said, you know, any any list of of uh, Old Testament messianic prophecies that doesn't include the whole Old Testament is 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 too brief. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, it is. 
I think that's exactly the way it is. Other thoughts? Okay. I'll tell you what I think I'm going to do. I think I'll shift gears a moment. Have, have some of you, unless you've all read this, I don't know if you have, have, have how many of you have gotten Caleb's report on Zimbabwe? Right, any, any of you gotten that? I, I didn't mark these passages, but I'm going to read a little bit of this. I think you would really enjoy this. You know Caleb and Ben and Emily just got back, what, a week or so ago from Zimbabwe, where they were for three weeks. Did you know that? Oh. Okay. Uh, C- Caleb is like 24 or 5. Ben and Emily are like 23. And uh, so they went to Zimbabwe uh, in Africa. And uh, I'll just read some parts of this. Uh, on Thursday, they went to a small village called Silalatshani, about three hours southwest of Bulawayo. We left about 6.30 a.m. last Thursday and traveled to spend the day with the brethren there. We picked up a deacon from another church named Stanley and another preacher named Big Boy Doobie and his <laughs> wife, Eurus. They are native to the Ndebele tribe and both speak English and Ndebele well. Well, when we arrived at 10 a.m., we were greeted by probably 70 to 80 people singing, dancing, and shouting. They were so excited that we had come to visit. After having tea and bread and setting up tarps we could meet under, we spoke to the people for about two and a half hours. Ben and I spoke to the men, Sandy to the women, and Emily took the young kids. Most kids older than eight to nine were at school during the day. We were asked to do lessons on Jesus from the book of Mark. Ben has been speaking on the question, who is Jesus? I've been speaking on why Jesus came. We've worked together to talk about why did Jesus leave. The people listened closely and took notes on what we were talking about. When we finished, they were surprised that we were already finished and wanted us to continue, but they had to leave because of the danger at night, because of wild animals crossing the roads. And then on Friday, they went to Goko, which is a village three hours away. And uh, when we arrived, just in time to get our tent set up before the sun went down, we met Enoch Nakubi and lots of young people from the church at Goko. Enoch is 81, a true man of God. He's been preaching for decades across central Zimbabwe. And the Lord has used him to establish a large church at Goko. The church there was zealous to learn, listening closely to the things that we had to say and searching the scriptures to see if what we said was true. They were very gracious to us during our visit. We taught two or three hours on Friday night, then began at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Our studies were focused on strengthening the young, the young people and encouraging them to give their lives fully to God at a young age. After lunch, there were five who wanted to be baptized, so we went down to the watering hole, and them Banny, a young brother, baptized them in the Lord. One child was considered too young to be baptized, but after begging, even crying for over a month, the brothers said it was not right to hinder him from being baptized, and he was baptized. We continued teaching them through afternoon and into the evening. We also worked with some of the older young people who were eager to teach the 40 to 50 kids they have in their congregation but didn't feel prepared to do so. We gave them some materials and strategies for teaching the youth. Even though Enoch is 81 years old, most of the church is relatively young. It was amazing to see their zeal for studying the Word of God. All the kids sat through the studies from 9 in the morning till 9 at night with breaks for food and baptisms. Most were focused (laughs) intently on the lessons and all who were able to read and write, which was most, took notes and wrote down every scripture so they could return to study the things of which we spoke. There were many people from other denominations or from their communities who were not Christians. They had excellent questions. We spent a couple of hours taking questions from them about the Bible. I was so encouraged by their attitudes and their zeal to learn to know God. They were not even ready to rest for the night after the studies concluded at nine. Instead, they stayed for another two hours singing praises to God in Shona and Nidabeli, the two main tribal languages in Zimbabwe. If the singing is anything like Africa in heaven, I will truly sing and never get tired of praising God. 
On Sunday morning, we had Bible class. Then Patty, who's a man who preaches there, gave the lesson. Five more were baptized when he finished. After the baptism, more than 100 people lined up to shake our hands and thank us for our visit. It was very difficult to leave. I left a big part of my heart in that small village. And then let's see. Um, they, they went uh, on, I think, Tuesday to a small village named Sephila, about 10 kilometers from Silla Lachani. We left about 6 a.m. and it took us about four hours to arrive at the village. About the same time, 10 people arrived from Silla Lachani to see and hear us again. They had left at 4.30 in the morning and arrived about the same time. There was one major difference. We were driving, they were walking. Many of them were quite old and yet they'd walked four to five hours to come and hear the word of God. I was almost in tears when I saw them and heard how they had come. Their sincere desire to hear the word of God puts us to shame. Where we may find more important things to do even when the word of God is preached in a place nearby, it's a shameful that so many of us consider it a major sacrifice to drive or ride a few minutes out of our way to hear the word of God when many would walk all day to hear the word of God preached. We preached for two and a half hours at Sephila. Um, and then they went to Memz some or other, and uh, the brethren came late afternoon on Thursday because of the weather, but listened to us late into the night and then stayed up all night singing. They then they listened to us again for a few hours in the morning. I was really struck by the poverty at Memz. It was quite cold at night since it's winter in Zimbabwe, and yet many of the children were wearing only a t-shirt and shorts with no shoes, socks jackets and he talked about some of the people needing medical attention really bad he said our time at i gotta figure out how to pronounce this mbembezi maybe that's it uh was a moving experience it was so exciting to see their zeal to hear the word of god and their eagerness to praise him when was the last time you spent an entire day listening to the word of god and then stayed up the whole night singing praises to god only to listen to the word for a few more hours in the morning and uh, he said the elephants and drought have destroyed the crops this year. Uh, he said they came to hear the word of God because it was important to them to hear it, because they wanted to know God more. Um, and then they had on Saturday an all-day youth study in Bulawayo. More than 75 pe young people came to the studies from many different churches across the city and suburbs. It was so encouraging. This was the first young people study there has been in years in southern Zimbabwe among the churches in Bulawayo. Many of the young people were meeting Christian young people from other churches for the first time. Some of them wrote us letters afterwards and thanked us for having the studies. You could tell that they genuinely appreciated every opportunity they were given to join with other Christians and study the Word of God. Um, and let's see. Um, on Tuesday, they had an excellent day studying with the brethren in Sinkugui or something like that. Uh, you could tell that the people here had more, a lot more than the people in Mbembezi. Still, they received the word from us with joy and listened intently to us teach for four to five hours. Um, and he talked about some other things. Let's see. Um, on Saturday morning, we left for Gwanda. We picked up five young people from Bulawayo and piled in the car and headed off to Gwanda. When we arrived at Big Boy's house, he's the preacher in Gwanda, there were already 40 or so kids waiting on us. And then eventually 70 or so young people. Um, there were some translators among the young people for them. We had our best studies at Gwanda, especially in the afternoon. As was true of all of the other studies, every person who came, including the youngest children, listened attentively and took detailed notes during the lessons. The young people were more willing to participate in our discussions at Gwanda, too. 
Maybe the most difficult thing about transitioning back to the U.S. has been the difference I've seen in the way we approach studying the Word of God compared to those who we studied with in Zimbabwe. Almost without exception in Zimbabwe, everyone who was there listened attentively to the Word the entire time that we spoke, and everyone who knew how to write took careful notes. Not only that, but many of the ones we saw again would come up to me and discuss what we had taught. In some cases, they asked questions over what they had restudied. It was obvious that they really heard the word and were seeking to implement it in their lives. It has been a frustrating transition to return to the, to the U.S., where we so often take for granted the opportunity to hear the word of God. It is shameful how uninterested we are in hearing the word. Many of us rarely stay focused for an entire 30 or 40 minutes. Even fewer the number of people who take notes. And it is a rare sight to find someone who not only takes notes, but carefully revisits them for further study. We need to return to the spirit of the first century Christians from the church at Berea who zealously and diligently searched the scriptures seeking to know if what they heard was true. The afternoon studies were especially encouraging thanks largely to some who were willing to openly and honestly confess their struggles and the ways in which they had been conforming to the world. It was the first time that most any of the young people had honestly and openly discussed things they were struggling with and we tried to help them by giving them advice as to how to overcome the things they were struggling with. And so forth and so on. That's probably... Uh, you know, good enough. He, he gives a few more illustrations of that. But uh, I thought that was just really, uh, you know, moving and just encouraging to imagine, you know, people who clearly don't have much, but they, they want the Lord and they see the Lord. It'd probably be good for us maybe just to have a prayer for, for them. Uh, Jacob has read all of this, so Jacob, you want to leave us in prayer for them? Dear God, <clears throat> we thank you so much for the opportunity to you are, for what you have done for us. You have done so much for us, Father. From the beginning of time to up until now, you have done everything for us, and without you, we would have no hope of life. We would not even be alive. We would have no hope of salvation. And you continue to do so much for us, Father, and you will always bless us beyond our wildest imagination. Father, we thank you so much for that. We thank you so, so much for the people in Zimbabwe that Caleb and Emily and Ben got to go and meet and to study with and to teach and to listen to. And thank you so much for their zeal, for how much they want to study your word, how much they want to eat it up. Father, we pray that they would continue to have that zeal, that they would continue to not want, not be able to get enough of your word, that that's all they would want to do, continue to do, that they would sing to you and pray to you and study your word so much that they won't have time to do anything else for you. Father, we pray that not only that they would continue that zeal, but that we would be able to get that zeal. Uh, so many times we find it hard to sit through an hour-long study, and we pray that we would not be able to, that we would be disappointed when the hour was up and we were done studying, that we would continue to want to hear more of your word, that we would not be able to get enough, that we would be like the Christians in Zimbabwe, that we would be able to grow more and more to where we can't just can't get enough of you and that we want to praise you or be studying about you every time we get the chance and every time we don't have the chance, Father. Father, we pray that you would please be with Ben, Emily, and Caleb as they came back from Zimbabwe. We pray that they would be able to transition easily, but they, they would not stop 
teaching and preaching that they would do the same thing here. We need it almost more here than the Christians in Zimbabwe do, that they would continue teaching us and teaching everyone they come in contact with, that they can have the effect here that they did in Zimbabwe. And thank you so much for letting us be able to hear about the Christians over there, that we that they can be an encouragement to us. It's so amazing that we can have that opportunity and that we can hear about Christians all over the place. Father, we thank you so much for all that you continue to do for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, you know, how often do we plan to study more than an hour?